Recession and inflation are here. Gas, housing, and everyday goods are up, way up. And you want to be ready for any situation. So what would you do if there's no food on the shelf? Arc Heirloom Seeds are here to help. Did you know 99% of seeds sold today can't reproduce? With Heirloom Seeds, you only have to plant once. Then you can grow year after year, giving you and your family stability and security because things are getting crazy out there. Our all-in-one seed kit provides everything you need to grow your own food. This premium seed kit has over 65 varieties, 50,000 seeds in stores for 15 years. You'll also get our exclusive seed guide to make growing a no-brainer. Arc Seed Kits is a family-owned and operated business and the most trusted name in the nation for over 15 years. Our mandate is to get heirloom seeds into every home in America. Go to arcseedkits.com today and get free shipping by entering promo code podcast. That's ARKseedkits.com, promo code podcast. Get your seeds, get prepared, get growing. Arcseedkits.com. Make sure to go to TimCast.com, click join us and become a member to support this podcast and all the work we do, and you'll get access to exclusive uncensored segments from TimCast IRL and way more. Now, let's jump into the first story. Everyone is losing their collective minds of what is currently happening with Israel and Gaza. We have a lot of new information pertaining to the escalation of war, and while there are culture war stories to talk about and we'll get into... I think the bigger issue right now is what is currently happening in terms of active warfare in the Middle East, and it is expanding. Israel is planning to invade Gaza and take out Hamas leadership. There have been numerous strikes on Lebanon targeting Hezbollah. People in the south of Lebanon have been fleeing, and now Israel is evacuating several communities. We have a viral clip from Ben Shapiro warning about what what is essentially, he's describing something that people refer to as the Samson option, maybe not explicitly. But Ben Shapiro warns that if foreign entities, if Arabic nations invade Israel or attack them, Israel may begin firing nuclear weapons. This is called the Samson option. And it, it's the most like, likely or logical outcome in the event of a military strike on Israel. That's it. You can't expect any country no matter what your political position is, to simply be like, well, we've been invaded and we're about to be wiped out. Have a nice day. That's the purpose of having weapons. That Israel will say, we will do everything we, we have to to defend ourselves in the event this escalates beyond just Israel-Palestine. And it is. Syria has been bombed. But, you know, to be fair, that's been ongoing. Now Lebanon because of Hezbollah. But these are ongoing conflicts. If it extends beyond these uh, these borders or continues to escalate and say Iran gets involved, then perhaps World War Three. And it's don't look at me. I'm not the expert, but we got a whole bunch of uh, uh, of individuals warning that we could be facing World War Three. And I think it's I think it's fair to say in Ben Shapiro's argument, he's saying if the U.S. does not provide material support, we may end up seeing the Samson option. And that would be bad, to put it mildly. Now, right now in the United States, we've got uh, uh, an economic crisis. We've got a border crisis. We've got, uh, what is it, Rite Aid declaring bankruptcy. CVSs are closing down or, or, or is it? Yeah, yeah, they're closing down. Bank branches are closing down. Yeah, things aren't looking too good for the global economy. And I think too many people are trying to plug their ears and just pretend like it'll all go away. But hey, look, man, you do what you want to do. This is why I tell people it's so important to stay informed and pay attention to what's going on. 
If someone comes to warn you that there is a fire raging in your garage and you plug your ears and go, la, 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 I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. Just stop. Or you refuse to accept it. You say, there's no fire. There's no way. Get out of here. I don't want to see it. And you ask them, like, look, I took a picture. There's a video. There's a fire in your garage, man. You need to get out of your house. They don't want to hear it. Other people are like, well, maybe the garage deserved it. I'm like, whatever. <laughs> but I certainly have a lot uh, to talk about in terms of the media meltdown and the brain rot. But as uh, uh, we are witnessing the escalation of war on several fronts and a fear that the U.S. could be dragged into a, a multi-pronged war, we have this from TimCast.com from just uh, this past weekend. U.S. must prepare for simultaneous, simultaneous wars with Russia and China, congressional report says. As all this is going down, the Israel-Gaza conflict, Palestine conflict is threatening to drag everyone into world war beyond Russia and China. Now, one, one uh, article that was put out by TimCast.com last week, China is trying to instigate war on four fronts for the U.S. to split the U.S.'s capabilities, thus allowing China to basically do whatever it wants. So, yeah, maybe we get out of this one without World War Three, or maybe this is how it all goes down. The latest news from The New York Times. Israeli invasion plans target Gaza City and Hamas leadership. This is from uh, just this past week, a couple days ago. This is a, a Saturday, I believe. The Israeli military is preparing to invade the Gaza Strip soon with tens of thousands of soldiers ordered to capture Gaza City and destroy the enclave's current leadership, according to three senior Israeli military officers who outlined unclassified details about the plan. The military has announced that its ultimate goal is to wipe out the top political and military hierarchy of Hamas, the Palestinian group that controls Gaza and led last week's terror attacks in Israel that killed 1,300 people. The assault is expected to be Israel's largest, uh, biggest ground operation since it invaded Lebanon in 2006. It would also be the first in which Israel has attempted to capture land and at least briefly hold on to it since its invasion of Gaza in 2008, according to three senior officers. The operation risks locking Israel into months of bloody urban combat, both above ground and in a warren of tunnels, a fraud offensive that Israel has long avoided because it involves fighting in a narrow and tightly, tightly packed sliver of land populated by more than two million people. The Israeli officials have warned that Hamas could kill Israeli hostages, use Palestinian non-combatants as human shields, and have strewn the territory with booby traps. Now, there's certainly a lot to say pertaining to the American view of the war, but uh, I'll, I'll, I'm going to reserve that for the 1 p.m. segment to break down the collective uh, mental uh, rot we're witnessing. But uh, for now, I just want to talk about the escalation of war because as much as culture war issues may be more entertaining, I'm more concerned with whether or not we survive this, to be completely honest. We have this from yesterday. Reuters reports, Israel-Lebanon border clashes escalate. Lebanese Hezbollah fighters launched attacks on Israeli army posts in a northern border village on Sunday. And Israel retaliated with strikes in Lebanon as UN peacekeepers warned border clashes were escalating. Sporadic fire across the Israel-Lebanon border over the past weekend has raised concerns that fighting with Hamas militants in Gaza could escalate into a broader conflict. Hezbollah, Hezbollah's attack on Shtula, a farming community that abuts the border fence, killed one person and wounded three others. The militant group and Israeli medics said, as the worst border violence since a month-long war in 2006 entered its second week. 
Hezbollah also said it had targeted uh, barracks in Israel's Hanida with guided missiles and said it had inflicted casualties on the enemy ranks. The Israeli military said it had conducted strikes in Lebanon in retaliation, and it declared a zone within four kilometers of the Lebanese border off limits to public access. Three security sources confirmed to Reuters that Israeli artillery had struck several areas in the south. Hamas's armed wing Al-Qassam brigades said it had fired 20 rockets from Lebanon on two Israeli settlements. I just like to stress what they're saying. They're attacking. They are instigating attacks on civilians. Well, you heard it from that uh, Yale professor. Settlers aren't civilians, right? So this is it. Look, man, you want you want deep philosophical answers. You want rules. There are no rules in war. People who try to claim there are rules are basically telling you a lullaby. They're telling you a fairy tale. Lullaby is wrong phrase, but they're trying to tell you that you don't need to pay attention to any of this stuff. The world has rules and order is maintained. You know, there are no rules in war. We have these gentlemen arguments. I love it. I love that movie, The Patriot. You guys know it. My favorite movie. And you have that famous scene where Mel Gibson's talking, his character, uh, Benjamin, I remember the last name, is talking with, I think it was Cornwallis. And he says, you will immediately stop the, the, the firing upon my officers as part of the negotiations. And it's like, could you imagine a battlefield with no officers and, and like no gentlemen? Like, would be chaos or something to that effect. And uh, Mel Gibson's character says, so long as your men are targeting women and children, I will the order. Uh, I will I will order my men to fire at officers on site. But this is this idea that you know the 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 British somehow believed that you have to have officers standing behind the lines giving order to the battlefield. Sure, I love the idea of war crimes and like the Geneva Conventions and the Hague Conventions. Sure, we have these. People say war crimes are being committed by Israel and war crimes or terrorism being committed by Hamas. Children. You grow up in this world where they tell you that certain things can't be done in war. Is it a joke? People are willing to kill each other to win. And there's some argument about the horror of war crimes as if that's going to change anything. Yo, the moment one faction decides to kill the people of another faction over some ideology or resource or territory, your rules be damned. I think it's fascinating. We claim that we have this order internationally, please. War crimes are meaningless to those with power. Come on. Want to talk about Barack Obama killing a 16 year old American citizen? There you go. War crimes. And that's what people think. The Hill reports. Graham warns Iran if it escalates war in Israel, we're coming for you. And that's a question of what Iran thinks it can muster up. Let's talk about how humans tend to think. Remember when Alex Jones got banned? It wasn't just Alex Jones. A bunch of other right wing personalities all got banned around the same time. And this is interesting. It's a cascade effect. First, Alex Jones gets banned from one platform and then like a wave, all the other platforms ban him. Why? Well, here's, here's how I describe it, right? 
It's another morning, and you're all set for work. You grab your coffee, head out the door, and your car decides today's the day it won't start. Panic sets in. You're not just late, you're stranded. Get ahead of unexpected car repairs before they strike with CarShield, the most trusted vehicle protection company. For almost 20 years, CarShield has saved millions of drivers from repair nightmares with low monthly plans that cover up to 5,000 major parts and systems, like pricey transmission and engine engine repairs, and check engine light mysteries. Visit CarShield today at carshield.com slash carlson. Plans include unlimited miles, 24-7 roadside assistance, help with flats, lockouts, and rental car options. Save 20% and get a free quote by visiting CarShield online at carshield.com slash carlson. Don't wait for the next surprise. Choose peace of mind with CarShield. Go to carshield.com slash carlson and save 20% today. I've seen mobs in action, how humans operate. In fact, there's a good example that came out over the past weekend. A man with an Israeli flag was chased, I believe this was in London, by a large group of angry Palestinian supporters who were trying to probably kill him. According to some reports, uh, there, there, uh, some of the men were armed. I believe there was reports that a man had a knife and the police intervened and pulled the uh, Israeli, uh, Israel supporter, pulled him out. But how does this happen? How is it that seemingly normal good people are all of a sudden chasing down a Jewish man in the street who is in fear for his life, fear that he may be about to die? This is how mobs operate. One person will run. Other people mostly don't want to fight or be violent, but they're going to run along with them. I just really, really can't stand how humans do this. And they do. You see, what happens is when you have a large crowd of individuals and they see one person running and another person chasing them, many of them are going to run after to see what happens. But this creates a mob force. Now you have other people who see 50 people chasing a guy and how many of them need to be violent for it to turn into a murder? Not that many. Because what will happen is the one guy who instigated the fight is now surrounded. He has cover. He'll hit the guy. The guy will fall down. The crowd will then surround the injured individual. Many of the people doing nothing, but People will pop out one at a time and go bang, bang, kick, punch, slam. Eventually, this person's dead. It's how it happens with uh, breaking into buildings during mobs. And I've explained this, too, as to how it will go down and say, like, your house, if riots truly get bad coming from the far left. When one person walks up onto the porch with no intention to break into the building, several people will follow, wondering what's happening and wanting to watch. One person will go up and look through the window. Another person will go up and, like, kick the door once and then run away. Another person will run up and kick the door again. It'll break open. They'll run away. All I did was kick it one time. I ran away. The snowflake doesn't blame itself for the avalanche. This is what we're looking at right now. We are looking at this in the large in a a large scale, right? You have Hamas engages in this attack. They start killing civilians. Israel then retaliates. Nobody cares about who is right or who is wrong. The idea that war crimes matter is silly to me. Obviously, we don't like it when they're committed. We have an understanding of what they are torture and killing of civilians, rape and kidnapping, etc. It's funny. Hamas, they're terrorists because they targeted civilians, captured them and killed children indiscriminately. Israel also has killed civilians. No question. But, you know, a fair point made by Ben Shapiro is that Israel's not going to go parade around cheering on the killing of civilians. They actively and desperately try to claim they're not 
or they'll try and make excuses for it. Meanwhile, Hamas does the opposite. They published videos of them killing civilians. And they argue, the Yale professor did, because the left does, that settlers are not civilians. Well, the mob mentality could lead us into World War Three. Patrick Casey says, quote, if Israel is forced to the wall, the possibility of nuclear exchange is extremely high. He goes on to mention that Ben Shapiro has basically said if the U.S. does not get involved, that it could be World War Three. Let me play the clip from Ben Shapiro. So the real risk for Israel in not finishing off Hamas right now is that this is taken as a sign of weakness, as it certainly would be, by Hezbollah. Hezbollah is a far more dangerous terrorist group than Hamas. Hamas is a dangerous terrorist group. They just proved it by killing 1,300 Jews. Hezbollah currently has over 100,000 highly sophisticated rockets aimed directly at the north of Israel. Estimates suggest that were Hezbollah to fire all of those rockets, we wouldn't be talking about 1,300 dead Jews. You'd be talking about somewhere between 20 and 30,000 dead Jews, day one. If Hezbollah gets in, Israel will have no choice but to unleash the Air Force. If they unleash the Air Force, they're not going to be worried at that point about civilian casualties at all. They're simply going to have to eviscerate the entire south of Lebanon and topple the regime in Lebanon that supports Hezbollah. If that happens, Iran undoubtedly gets in and so does Syria. If that happens and Israel is now faced with a with a full war in the north combined with a war in the south because they will not have defeated Hamas, that's the predicate. If Israel is forced to the wall, the possibility of nuclear exchange is extremely high. That is why it is very important that the United States provide the material aid to Israel. Well, that last one feels kind of like a non sequitur. I think Ben Shapiro's assessment is like 98% correct. I'm not sure that Israel just wiping out Hamas solves the problem, but I don't know uh, what else you do. Seriously. Many people right now, uh, I see these, these activists, these leftists are saying that Israel's cut off the water supply and food and, and that's bad and, it's, and it's, a, it's a crime against humanity or whatever. And it's just like, uh, there's a lot of problems. First, look, you have war between Israel and, and Gaza. And you can argue Palestine, the Palestinian Authority seems to be mostly just, you know, doesn't really do anything. But it is Hamas that uh, is elected in Gaza and the Al-Qassam brigades are attacking Israel. The left, supporting the Hamas terrorists, argue that it's an open air prison and they're resistance fighters who have no choice, that settlers are not civilians, so they're fair game. If they attack Israel, the argument against escalation would be Israel do nothing. But I don't see that as being reasonable. They're having rockets fired on them and civilians were just killed, a lot of them including many American citizens. Many of these Americans are actually dual citizens. There are a few Canadians. They were dual citizens. It's, it, it, but this makes sense, right? That's why they're in Israel. Ben Shapiro is arguing that the U.S. must provide material support to Israel to crush Hamas. If Israel goes into Gaza, which is likely going to happen, then Hezbollah is likely going to escalate. Ben makes a good point about what happens after that fact, but there's two points I disagree with. I don't know if there's any way around this at all. I don't think an argument, there's an argument to be made that if Israel crushes Hamas, it could avoid this. No matter what happens now, we're likely facing World War Three. That's all, that, that's what more can be said. Israel has to defend itself, whether it crushes Hamas or not. Airstrikes will take out perceived weapon depots and, and, and uh, milit militarized sites. It is resulting in the death of civilians. And they're targeting, a, it's a wide berth. Many people that I know and respect 
are reporting civilians are dying here. But you know what? I'm sorry, man. I'm seeing all these leftists being like Israel has just committed war crimes and done these things. And I'm just like, your war crime statements mean nothing to me. Hamas just killed a bunch of civilians. And you argue they have, they're justified in doing that? Screw off. Look, man, what I see is there's people who support Israel, people who support Palestine. And they're like, you better pick a side or else. And I'm just like, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I forgot where United States came into that uh, sentence. But here we are. I'm seeing leftists argue that Israel is I'm seeing all these leftist news organizations being like, can you believe that Israel did this or did this or did that? And I'm just like, you're going to talk about what Hamas did. No, they're going to wave flags in support of Hamas. I roll. Now I see Israel. Firing back, bombing uh, targets and, th- and seeking to invade Gaza. And this is a dramatic escalation. Welcome to war. You want You want to talk about justification? Pfft. Dude. Everyone's going to make their arguments. I am not Israel. I am not Palestine. So the people who are tweeting at me being like, your employees are saying naughty things, fire them. I'm like, screw off, dude. My concern, the logical pathways, the patterns that we see and whether or not they lead to you having to spend 50 bucks on gas per gallon or whether or not rice and beans are going to cost you 100 bucks. I'm not Israel. I'm not Palestine. I'm not happy with what's going on. The conflict goes back a long time. The history, extremely complicated. And I get these people, these activists on the left, they roll their eyes at me and be like, no, it's really simple. No, it isn't. And I don't care. I'm the United States. Okay, we're the United States. I can't speak for these countries. What I can say is the outcome of what of of what happens here could destroy us and our way of life. Ben's correct. If Lebanon escalates against Israel, Israel against Lebanon, we could be talking about tens of thousands of dead Israeli citizens. As Ben says, dead Jews. Yeah, I think Ben gets a little emotional when it comes to Israel, and I completely understand why. So I'm not saying I I mean no disrespect, but I'd like to clarify. Well, Israel is a Jewish state. Come on, man. They're 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 Arab Israelis. They are non-Jewish individuals who are in Israel. Why? This is why People like Israel. Israel is more modern with democratic institutions. And while it is a Jewish state, there are many individuals who live there who aren't even Jewish. And they seem to get by just fine. So it may be many dead Jews. But I think we should focus on the civilians who will die should Lebanon escalate and start firing into more communities. Already people are dying. Israel then retaliates. Yes, Syria, Iran get involved. Israel's already been bombing Syria. This conflict has been ongoing for a long time. This, there's been war for a long time. The bigger fear is, should this escalate into full-scale war with Iran, Lindsey Graham now threatening it, you have the makings of World War III. I don't know that this happens. In 2014, Israel launched Operation Protective Edge. Many, many uh, journalists I knew and leftists said that this, is, this was Israel mowing the lawn. That's what they call it. Mowing the lawn. Hamas grows more and more powerful, accumulates weapons, and then fires them on Israel. Israel then mows the lawn, takes out Hamas, bombs, and it causes massive damage to the people who live in Gaza. I also want to stress, Egypt plays playing a role here too, and the Rafah crossing could be opened, but I'm not going to pretend to be an expert on the region. I'm just going to tell you this. Look, man, we're facing a risk of World War III. That's the fear. Ray Dalio says 50% chance of world war. Okay, well, we're already at war in Eastern Europe. China is already pressing on Taiwan. And now we've got this in the Middle East. Yeah, 
One by one, the dominoes begin to fall. What? What do we do? Honestly, I don't know. Because I think Ben's correct. Israel is not just going to die. The Samson option, as it's called. Have you seen the price of gold lately? It's hitting all-time highs. And when it comes to investing in gold, check out Noble Gold Investments. They have a track record of excellence that's second to none. Just look at their thousands of five-star reviews on Trustpilot, Google, and the Better Business Bureau. Customers rave about their knowledgeable staff, smooth investment process, and life-changing results, which you can see for yourself online. That's the kind of reputation you can count on. But it's not just about the reviews. Noble Gold Investments truly care about their clients. They take the time to understand your unique needs and goals, and they give expert guidance every step of the way. That level of personalized service is rare in this industry. Look, when it comes to securing your financial future, you can't afford to take chances. Go with the gold company that has earned the trust of countless investors. Visit noblegoldinvestments.com slash Pool today and discover why Noble Gold Investments is the only choice for smart, secure gold investments. Or call them at 877-646-5347. Again, that's 877-646-5347. It's the name for, that some military analysts refer to as Israel's deterrent strategy of massive retaliation with nuclear weapons as a last resort. Now, we don't know for sure if Israel has nukes. There's a lot of speculation that they do. If Iran gets involved and the U.S. says, we ain't doing nothing. You're on your own, Israel. Israel just says, we will nuke every country that tries to invade and destroy us. Depending on how many nuclear warheads they have, I think it's fair to say that Israel's got nukes. Even one. And then what? Is it regional? Israel's not going to fire nukes at Russia. Maybe they fire nukes at Iran. Iran retaliates. I don't know if this escalates beyond that, if that's where it goes. I think Ben's argument is rooted in having the U.S. defend Israel so that Israel does not fall and that we don't end up with millions dead. I think it's a fair, fair, a, a, a better point than if we don't, it's World War Three, because I feel like if we do, it's World War Three. The U.S. providing military support to Israel which which results in a ground invasion of Gaza, which in, it results in Iran stepping up. And this was the fear we had in 2014. Then you get World War Three. I don't know. I don't, I don't know, though. This regional conflict could remain regional. But when you have war in Ukraine already, what makes a world war? Right now, Russia is fighting in Ukraine and they seem to be doing a good job of taking what they want. The U.S. is not directly involved in Ukraine. China has been flying Fighter jets over Taiwanese air defense zone. We don't know if they will invade. It will be extremely difficult for the U.S. to defend Taiwan should China decide to take it. Why? Because China, Taiwan is right off the coast of mainland China. The U.S. military operations coming out of what, Australia, South Korea or Japan? It's going to have a lot harder time maintaining a, a defensive position in Taiwan, though Taiwan would likely allow in Western forces to defend the island. Either way, the question is, what is a world war? Is it every faction fighting every faction or is it a whole bunch of regional conflicts all around the world? I guess it doesn't matter. It's both the interests of all nations wrapped into the conflict. And so ultimately, what I fear may be is that as the U.S. gets split with trying to support Israel, providing material support to Ukraine, Russia and China see an opportunity. 
Take a look at the American war for independence. How did we win? French intervention. The French intervened on our behalf, provided support to fight against the British. Why? You think the French were like, liberty in these states. We must fight for the ideology. Yeah, no. No, the French were like, we've got a couple million people in the British colonies who are in revolt against the crown. A large resource for the crown in terms of taxation, economic, as well as material resources and a lot of land. We can split the British Empire by supporting the rebels and turning the tides in their war, crippling the crown in our war. French didn't care about us. The enemy of the my enemy is my friend. They supported us because they were at war with Britain. That's all that mattered. And so that's what, how it goes down. We, as Americans, are like, look at our great history of how we run the American war for, the war for independence. To France, it was like, hey, a whole bunch of these hillbillies are fighting against the soldiers. We could, use, we could use a whole bunch of these men to fight on our behalf. So we call it French intervention. The French militaristically look at it like all of these guys are going to fight Britain with us. We're in. We're in. When I grew up, I played this game called Colonization. Sid Meier's really great game, really very educational for kids. Still a good game to these days, though. It's like 90s graphics, very rudimentary. It's like a board game, though, so it's fun. And you have to ring liberty bells to earn French intervention when the war for independence starts, as if we needed to convince the French to intervene on our behalf. More like the French said, here's an opportunity for us. That's the issue. Russia says, the U.S. is embroiled in a multi-pronged conflict, regional conflicts all over. Now's our chance. China says now's our chance. Iran says now's our chance. The BRICS nations launch their currency competing with the petrodollar, begin lobbying various nations. The U.S. says no way. The U.S. threatens war on smaller countries who abandon the petrodollar. These smaller countries then go to Russia and say, provide us with military defense against the United States and we'll use your currency. It's possible. It's possible. And I can't tell you exactly how this goes down other than everyone's basically worried that it's coming. World War Three is at our doorstep. So saith basically everyone. Interesting. Could it stop? Maybe. Maybe it all just dries up. Maybe. Maybe. In 2014, this was the fear. That protective edge Turned out to be, I think it was 51 days that Iran, Lebanon and Syria would not tolerate an Israeli invasion of Gaza, and that would lead to an escalation of war. It didn't. Or maybe it did. Because it's nine years later, and now it's worse than ever. This conflict doesn't stop. Just because there's calm periods doesn't mean the war ever stopped. No, this conflict between Palestine and Israel, long, ongoing. 2014? Maybe it really did escalate to the point of World War III. Maybe there was a lull, but then Hamas struck back. And now here we are at the doorstep of international conflict once again. Only this time we're at war in Ukraine. And China's gearing up for an invasion of Taiwan. What do we do? Maybe your answer is the U.S. just doesn't, doesn't get involved at all. Do you think that if the, U, the U.S. wasn't involved, that war would just stop? No. That's kind of Ben's argument. If the U.S. isn't involved, then it devolves more rapidly. That may be the case. I don't know if I believe that enough to justify U.S. intervention basically everywhere. 
But that was the fear after World War II. The Western forces, the Allies, feared that the world would evolve into World War III, especially with the expansion of the Soviet Union. And so they created what they called the liberal economic order, the world police. And there's been many a discussion about a new world order. And of course, there's the uh, they claim the new world order is a conspiracy theory. Well, there is a version of it. It's a conspiracy theory where it's like powerful global elites are trying to orchestrate a whole bunch of hoo-ha, this, that or otherwise. Well, the literal new world order, according to the Council on Foreign Relations, is literally just the petrodollar system and US, the U.S. military maintaining peace, a world order. I can't tell you what's going to happen. I can only tell you to pay attention. And I can only tell you that everyone's losing their minds, which will be the next segment coming up at 1 p.m. on this channel, where I break down how people in the United States are going nuts. Yeah, it's crazy. The culture, what's funny, seeing like the anti-establishment side now fighting itself, people seemingly forgetting that they were like, no foreign intervention, but Israel. Yeah, we'll talk about that. Next segment at 1 p.m. I'll leave it there. Thanks for hanging out, and I'll see you all then. There is no subject, in my opinion, more likely to shatter the minds of individuals than Israel and Palestine. This has been a very interesting week as we have seen a massive rupture in the culture war with once allies becoming enemies, people fighting and complaining, the left exposing themselves for who they really are. I love how the left is just an amalgam of nonsensical anger, like people marching around saying LGBTQ for Palestine. I wonder if any of these individuals have actually looked up what happens to gay people in the West Bank and in Palestine. And while, of course, there are writings suggesting in the West Bank, LGBT stuff is, you know, legal. Yeah, um, just read the stories about what happened to some of these individuals who tried to engage in what was legal. They're dead. It's kind of brutal. It's brutal to see the left uh, cheering for these things. But I think what we're getting out of all of this is one, the left has always been relatively crazy, in my opinion. It's a chaotic, chaotic and destructive force that seems to make no sense. You can see the, the hypocrisy exposed in organizations like the Anti-Defamation League that refuses to call out Black Lives Matter, despite the fact the founder called for the eradication of Israel. Now, to be specific, the founder said, an end to the imperial project called Israel. I'm saying eradicate because, you know, that's what she's basically saying. And uh, I'll put a bit, a bit more uh, um, emotion in the way I describe it. But let me tell you, my friends, what I see with this whole subject is war. And everyone trying to justify why one side is better or right or wrong. And I'm just sitting back like, y'all are nuts. Look, obviously what Hamas did was terrorism targeting civilians. Obviously, it is bad that in the military strikes on Gaza in retaliation, Israel is killing civilians. Welcome to war, my friends. And you know, here's, here's what I see. And I got no problem with anybody saying what they want to say. But first, let's start with uh, there are people who work at Timcast who have opinions that they're allowed to have, and I'm not going to scold or police their opinions. And uh, they're critical of Israel. They're critical of Israel. Some have accused, uh, have insinuated that Israel is putting out propaganda or whatever. And it's like, okay, whatever. Like people have opinions, man. That's like kind of what we do here. Here's what happens. For the most part, the people who are critical of Israel that I know are not supporting Hamas. They're just basically saying Israel's retaliation is over the top. And that's, you know, okay, welcome criticism. I've got no skin in the game here. I can tell you that Hamas is committing acts of terror, but I'm getting messages from other people like, 
you need to fire your staff, Tim, because, you know, they said something bad. And I'm like, what? (laughs) Dude, have you ever listened to any one of my shows? I think people's brains have just burst from their skulls on this one. I'm seeing people on the right furious that someone dare have an opinion outside of their aligned opinion on Israel. Many people outright saying Israel is completely justified, should do what they want to do and, you know, defend themselves and collateral damage, collateral damage. And I'm like, okay. And then someone else argues that collateral damage is unacceptable. And then I'm told that certain employees here are deeply anti-Semitic because they won't just get behind Israel. And I'm just like, dude, your, your words mean nothing to me. Okay. Like you, you are not going to get me to go to my employee or, or anyone else and be like, your political opinion is not allowed. It's the stupidest thing imaginable. And I'm like, you send me a message complaining about something someone who works for me said. And my attitude is just like, wow, look, someone else said thing. Thank you for making me aware of a thing they said. Have a nice day. It's funny. What do they think is going to happen? But of course, the left does it, too. Like, I'm not saying it's just the right right now. But the left is really exposed to themselves here. This is what I love. I love the, the collapse and the realignment in the culture war. Mediaite reports, this is bullish. Anti-Trump host lashes out over report MSNBC benched Muslim anchors, which MSNBC vehemently denies. I love this because the denial is meaningless. They can deny it all they want. They did bench them. It's a question of why were they benched and what were they being removed for? Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S.? With more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S., they have everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, and so much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. Find the perfect fit for your climate and space. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online, and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. This spring, they have the best deals online, up to half off on select plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code POOL at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using the code POOL at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com, code POOL. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. Well, over at NewArab.com, they say MSNBC removes three Muslim presenters amid Israel's Gaza war. I just love it. MSNBC loves to screech into the wind about the far right and white supremacy. But then, of course, when Israel is retaliating against Gaza and now you've got the left, all these leftist publications are like Israel's committing war crimes. And then, of course, you've got people on the right saying Hamas is committing acts of terror. And it's like when when we say like, yes, Hamas committed acts of terror, it was brutal. It was bloody. You then get people saying, yeah, well, what did Israel do first? And I'm like, I'll tell you my position on this one. Being in war doesn't justify you going and killing children and civilians. And then I'll tell you this, too. Like there are people that I this is what I'm seeing. I'm seeing people on the right now calling for like censorship or or something or insinuating that at the very least. I'm seeing people on the anti-establishment side, who I normally, you know, 
big fan of advocating things without proof or evidence, putting out claims. And I'm like, oh, man, you know, this this whole subject just is just like someone reaches into someone's brain and just scrambles it all up. And I'm just sitting back like, dude, y'all are nuts. OK, y'all are nuts. I love this, though. The hypocrisy exposed. MSNBC reportedly removed these uh, uh, three reporters. And I'll, I'll show you the story from uh, Semaphore, republished by Yahoo News. And um, this is what I really despise with establishment narratives and media. Semaphore p- titled the article Inside MSNBC's Middle East Conflict. This is what we call burying the lead. Max Tanney writes, I wonder who gave it this headline because this headline is unclickable. No information is conveyed and only the most ardent of supporters of Semaphore would read something like this. In most of the Internet, you need to tell someone something in a headline to get them to click it to explore more. The real story here that Semaphore buried is that, yes, they they removed these anchors instead of titling it that which is the news. They just write inside their coverage, which means nothing to no one and disappears. What happens then is people who did see the story picked it up and then ran with the headline. MSNBC removes three Muslim presenters, which they did. MSNBC denies it, claiming they still get airtime. Airtime is not hosting a show. The argument from MSNBC is that they wanted news coverage instead of these uh, taped and scripted shows. That may be true for one of these guys, but you could certainly have any one of them host the live coverage of the news. The problem? Everyone's brain burst from their skulls and ran away. And now you're not going to get an honest assessment from anybody. Because what I can tell you is this. I am but a humble man who complains on the internet. I don't know the history of Israel-Palestine, and I'm not going to try to explain it. I'm not going to sit here and morally equivocate. I can tell you that what Hamas did is an act of terror and it's explicitly wrong. I can say that as Israel retaliates, there is going to be massive collateral damage. Israel should seek to minimize it. They claim to be, but people are still dying. You then get people saying, yes, but Israel cut off water and food into Gaza. That's a war crime. While others say, for what responsibility does Israel have to give them food and water? Where's Egypt? The Rafa crossing exists. And I'm just sitting back like, yo, this ain't America. Okay. I don't know what to tell you about your conflict, but it ain't America. And that's the problem with U.S. meddling in foreign policy. And what I just don't understand is why everyone's so obsessed with being on one side or the other. Fine, dude, whatever, man. I'm not. Okay, I can only just speak in plain generalities. War is bad. War is horrible. Innocent people die in war. Welcome to conflict. You cannot just come out and be like during this multi thousand years historical, con- you know, religious conflict, which has found its uh, m- most recent iteration. You cannot just come out and, and, and be like one's bad, one's good. OK, I mean, you can. Right. But that's not what I do. I have no idea. I can only tell you that war. War is horrible. And if you come to me and say Israel did this, I'm like, welcome to war. People are like, look what Israel is doing to Gaza. It's collective punishment. It's bad. And I'm like, I mean, look, man, it's war. What do you think? What do you think happens in war? That's why war is bad. Maybe Hamas should not have torn down the fences and killed a bunch of civilians. And then people say, maybe Israel shouldn't have put them in an open air prison. Maybe there shouldn't have been a 1948 war. Bro, you want to go back in time all the way back? Fine. And then maybe we can figure out who threw the first rock. 
I ain't playing that game because you can do it everywhere. The only difference is with an active conflict and a historical conflict, people have chosen sides on this one. For the most part, when it comes to like China and Taiwan, there's just not much fervor over it. Now, to be fair, I mean, I get it. Taiwan is not being obliterated. They're getting a decent amount of support. My point is simply, I, I just, you, people's brains have exploded. Let, let, me, let me show you how, how, how massively people's brains have just, let me, let me, let me see what we got. What, what, do we have, what do we have pulled up? This one's my favorite. The left, shattering of the mind. Andy you know, says, queers for Palestine. We're there at London Palestine rally today, along with LGBT stands with Palestine. Others in attendance also included Islamists, Hamas supporters on the far left. What I love, love, love about all of this, and I'm glad that uh, they, they, they're, they're coming out and holding these signs and everything. Yet yeah, these people would be at, at best, their best case scenario, 10 years in jail in Gaza if they openly came out and admitted to engaging in LGBT behaviors or caught doing it. These people that are coming out in the West, I'll tell you what, what the left is. This is your perfect example. And I'm so happy that these people expose themselves for who they are. That's why I love free speech. They stand for nothing. Nothing. They don't care about children being killed. They don't care about innocent civilians being killed. They only care about hating you. They're demons, figuratively. They're evil. They are the, the, the it is the yin yang. Within light, there is darkness. Within darkness, there is light. I would say that the anti-establishment forces represent the light. Being that it is imperfect and there still does exist darkness within, there are people who would subvert and manipulate. There are people in the anti-establishment factions who are not good people and just masquerade as anti-establishment for money, grifters. They exist. But overwhelmingly, I think that what we represent is an attempt to honestly assess what's going on to make the world better. The left is an inversion of that. People who hate and want chaos, destruction, fear, and pain. Don't take my word for it. Look only at the absolute absurdity of people saying queers for Palestine. In Israel, if you're LGBT, you're mostly fine. I mean, every society has its repressive faction of sorts, but you can be gay in Israel. In Palestine, you can't. In fact, you might die because it's happened. I'm not going to pull the stories up. They're graphic and they're gruesome, but many of them exist. Read the stories about what they do to people who are LGBT. This shows these people don't know, don't care, are simply marching in lockstep like a zombie horde. NPCs, whatever. Horrifying. But at least they expose themselves. They expose themselves for who they are. This is uh, from Wikipedia, LGBT rights in the state of Palestine. And they basically just mention it's, you know, 10 years in jails, violates the penal code of, uh, of Gaza, criminalizes same-sex activity, et cetera, et cetera. They say there are no civil rights that protect them. 10 years imprisonment in Gaza. The West Bank is a little bit different. But in the West Bank, it's less about the law and more about you just are not likely to survive. Hassan! Hey, he's got a good tweet. Take a look at this one. He says the McDonald's universe is in a state of disarray. Here we have this. McDonald's is donating thousands of free meals to the Israel uh, uh, Israel Defense Forces and citizens after Hamas attack. 4,000 meals daily to the IDF. And why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't they? Uh-oh. From McDonald's Oman. I just, I, I love the shattered brains. Oman stands with Gaza. They basically put out the statement being like, yo, 
McDonald's in Israel has nothing to do with what we do. And we stand with Gaza. And then you have McDonald's Pakistan official statement. I absolutely love this capitalism. Yeah, I'm sorry. Multinational capitalism struggles to survive this environment of war. That's just the reality of what it is, man. Because Pakistan is like, hey, leave us out of it. Oman is like we stand with Palestine and and Israel is like we stand with IDF. Why? Because they're selling products to the majority of that country. McDonald's Oman knows that the support for McDonald's of Israel is going to cost them business. So they have to come out and be like, no, we're with the other guys. Welcome to war. I think it's absolutely enlightening. Enlightening. Oh, but wait, there's so much more. You know, I just, I just, I just love this. You're not going to get me to take a side for the most part. Like, I'll give you my opinions and thoughts on what's likely. Here's from uh, the BBC. Egypt warned Israel days before Hamas struck, U.S. committee chairman says. Hmm. Okay. NBC News. U.S. investigating whether Iran gave advanced training to Hamas militants. Whoa. So it could be that Israel knew in advance. And the argument we now get from many people is that Israel did know and they let it happen because they've been funding Hamas. And well, it is true that there was some support from Netanyahu. I think it was that he thought, well, I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I don't know enough about it. Okay. But the cursory articles are like, he thought that he could negotiate with them and you can't. And so he made it all worse. But now we've got it from the US that I- Iran may have done it. Oh, with Lindsey Graham calling for bombing Iran. Shattered brains. Hamas attack was an Israeli intelligence failure on multiple fronts. This is the other side. Israel didn't know. They could have known. And now it's an intelligence failure. Perhaps, perhaps. This is where we are. We are in the most interesting of times, I must say. But now, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to give you my favorite. Well, I can say there are many on the right who I I believe are absolutely losing it, calling for censorship or at least insinuating there should be some advocating for war intervention. Look, man, I don't think the U.S. should be involved with Ukraine. I think there are better arguments for why the U.S. should be involved in Israel. I'm still anti-intervention. I I, I understand the crisis that is emerging and where it can go, but uh, we're trying to avoid World War Three. So how we stabilize this? Don't look at me. I'm not here to give you answers. I ain't got none. But I love this one. I, I do love how the institutions are being exposed and the culture war is imploding. BLM LA faces backlash over support for Hamas. Really? Take a look at this from the Anti-Defamation League. I want to say this to, uh, what's his name? Jonathan Greenblatt, CEO. I want to say this to the Anti-Defamation League. You are evil. You are despicable, evil people. You are the cause of what we see when the far leftists advocate for Hamas, it is your fault because you refuse, refuse to admit your role in all of this. And to be honest, the ADL is a tool, is a weapon. They lie, they cheat, they steal. They are evil people. Have a nice day. Fringe left groups express support for Hamas's invasion and brutal attack in Israel. Fringe left groups? Sure. Who's the fringe left groups? Well, it's DSA, Salt Lake. DSA SF, DSA Long Beach, DSA Pittsburgh, the Young Democratic Socialists of America. Oh, the national chapter. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Their chapter in North Carolina. They mentioned that some lawmakers affiliated with the DSA have denounced them. Independent Black Lives Matter chapters. Oh, ADL, we, we, we love you so much. You're so predictable. BLM, BLM Philly, BLM Grassroots, BLM Chicago, BLM Phoenix, BLM Detroit. 
Heavens me. Fringe groups. You mean local chapters? I love this one. BLM Grassroots is a splinter group not affiliated with Black Lives Matter National Organization. And I, I introduce you to this wonderful caveat. It is important to note that Black Lives Matter chapters are run independently from the National Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation, and many are completely unaffiliated. The Black Lives Matter National Organization has not yet commented on the current Israel-Hamas war. Do they need to? Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the founder of Black Lives Matter, and this is the Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation referenced by the ADL, which includes Patrice Cullors, who called for the end of Israel in 2015. (laughs) Dude, I don't care. I'm sick of the hypocrisy. Nobody wants to look at the bigger picture. War? Well, you know, some people say war is hell, but some people say it's not. There's that famous quote people are sharing it. War is not hell because hell is not full of innocent people. It's full of the guilty. And war is almost nothing but innocent bystanders. I'm not here to argue who owns what land, but I can argue this. Israel was attacked by Hamas in the most recent incursion. Hamas terrorists targeted civilians intentionally, as argued by the left, for bargaining chips against Israel because they believe they're in an open air prison and it's Israel's fault. Logic. Egypt has the Rafah crossing. It is not Israel's fault. But they'll argue 1948, the Palestinians were pushing their land, blah, blah, blah. But welcome to war. What would happen? If Native Americans started bombing cities, I mean, come on, we, it's war. You can't have it. OK, and I don't I don't I don't think there's any good solutions. There is only what humans think is just and think is fair. And then there's reality. Power wins. And the left has often realized that. So in 1948, I guess there's a civil war is what many refer to it as Israel wins. Palestine loses. Welcome to war. No one's happy about it. And now it's ongoing. You know, I look back at the history of the United States and I'm not sitting here being like, yay, it's so great that, you know, that there were Native Americans who were murdered and stripped from their land. I'm not talking about the Aztecs and the Incas. I'm talking about the Hopi. I'm talking about the little, you know, uh, gatherers and farmers. Yeah, they had it rough, but they were also being terrorized by the Comanche. And I I think the Apache, I'm not, I'm not super well-versed. My point is this, man. War is the state of the world. And it is only because we have had this peaceful era, and that's like putting it lightly because it's not really the U.S. has still been at war, but it's more peaceful. It's only because of this we grow accustomed to this idea there's not going to be conflict over land or whatever. Dude, here's what I see. People screaming into the wind online, Israel, 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 Palestine, Palestine, Palestine. And, And I'm like, stop moralizing to me, man. It means nothing. Yeah, I get it. Hamas. They ideologically view any Israeli citizen as an evil settler. The far left does as well, which means they will kill them. On the right, I think this is where the honor lies in trying to avoid killing civilians. But due to the collateral damage and, and, uh, of Israel's response, a lot of civilians are dying. You then get Ron DeSantis, and he said something like, not everyone in Palestine is Hamas, but they are all anti-Semitic. And I'm just like, hey, I got an idea. The U.S. shouldn't be involved in these things. Here's the big challenge. I am not so naive. If World War III to, were to erupt between nations not involving the U.S., should we get involved? I don't have all the answers for you, my friends. I can say generally when it comes to regional conflict, we shouldn't be involved because y'all can argue among themselves. We are not the judge and the world police. We don't sit here and determine what is or should be. 
At least we do. We shouldn't. But the issue then becomes, if Israel does engage in the Samson option and decide to nuke its adversaries, and we sit back and do nothing, does the world just end and burn down around us? At a certain point, there is a challenging question, which is why I'm not always absolutely anti-intervention. If I live in a big house and I got roommates and the roommates are setting things on fire to, to, to hurt each other, I mean, I can sit back and watch my house burn down too. Or I can say, I have to get involved and stop this fighting. There's two people fighting in my house. They live there. They have a right to live there. There's nothing I can do about it, right? I typically stay out of their business, say, I, I don't care about why you guys are fighting. But then one day, one of the other guys, there's like a fire between the two rooms. Yeah, you got to do something about it because we all live here too. If it does devolve into World War III, we're screwed. And that's the big challenge here. There's no easy answer to all of this. All I can say is, bro, people are allowed to have opinions. That's it. We got people who work at Timcast who are very pro-Israel. We got people who are very critical of Israel for the collateral damage. Okay. Ain't nobody here celebrating civilians dying. Nobody. Not from anybody. Ain't nobody defending what Hamas did, targeting civilians. It's a question of how do we minimize civilian casualties? My problem is Hamas engages in these attacks, and then everyone expects Israel just to sit there and get bombarded by rockets. It's war, man. You fire rockets at somebody, they're going to they're gonna strike back. Let's think about it this way. You got two neighbors that are feuding, and one, uh, you, you, okay, look, a guy is, is uh, feuding with his neighbor over where the property line is. And he says, he keeps moving his fence on my property line. There's no good deed. Nobody agrees. And then fighting breaks out. I'm supposed to be like, okay, let me history, like, like research the deed history. Go make hundreds of years to figure it out. Bro, I can't figure that out for you. I can't. But then what happens is this. I come across a conflict where one guy jumps the fence and punches the other guy's kid in the face. That guy pulls out a gun and shoots, shoots the, the attacker. And then everyone's like, why did he kill him? He didn't have to. Shut up. When I see these stories where it's like a guy was robbing a liquor store with a knife and then the, the guy behind the counter shoots the guy with the knife, they're like, he didn't have to kill him. I'm like, you started the fight. So in this instance, it's a bit more complicated than that. They say, yeah, but, you know, Palestine is in an open air prison. Bro, Rafa, I'm, I'm going to say it again. Egypt can open the border too, and they can allow a lot of whatever they want. And they don't. International reasons. And the argument I hear from the pro-Palestine side is Egypt doesn't want refugees pouring into their country, which is a weak state as it is. Fair point. So what do you do? A no good solution. That doesn't justify Hamas targeting children and civilians. But that's it, because that's their bargaining chip. If these, these Hamas fighters view anyone in Israel, even tourists, as fair game. What, what, okay. You tear down that security fencing, what happens? Everybody knows what happens. Even people who are pro-Palestine knows it happens. You will get many ideolo ideologically driven Palestinians from Gaza going around and just killing. It will be war. There's no good answer. So spare me your lectures. Spare me. People who are complaining that Israel is lying or bombing civilians, they're allowed to complain about it. They're allowed to criticize Israel. No one ever said Israel's perfect. Nobody's perfect. I certainly think everyone recognizes what Hamas did is infinitely worse. And now people are mad that Israel's engaged in what some refer to as collective punishment. Dude, this is why I'm just like, man, America first, secure our border, bring up manufacturing back, mind our own effing business. Because there's no answers here. But I, I assure you, man, you're walking towards World War III. So uh, my message to everybody 
you're you're tweeting into a void. When you tweet at me, what we got? I got people tweeting at me that I have uh, colonizer, white supremacist, blah blah staffers because they're pro-Israel. <laughs> I got people saying I got staffers who are anti-Semitic because they're critical of Israel's collateral, uh, collateral, collateral damage coming from Israel, and I'm just like, your words, they mean nothing to me, dude. People have opinions. We have a right, wide range of opinions here. That's the whole point. We believe in free speech. Ain't nobody has all the answers. Tweeting at me is a waste of time. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up at 4 p.m. on this channel. Thanks for hanging out, and I'll see you all then. America can certainly afford two wars, U.S. Treasury Secretary says. And it's not just Janet Yellen, but last night, Joe Biden appeared on 60 Minutes in some crack pottery, as he often does engage in, and uh, said that we're the most powerful nation in the world, man. We can go to war in Israel. What up? <laughs> I'm just like banging the war drums. Lindsey Graham coming out being like, you know, we got to bomb Iran right now without evidence. And I'm just like, oh, here we go. You know, what I'm thinking they are going to start war with Iran. There's going to be some kind of escalation of war before Donald Trump can become president. They need to put Trump in a position where he has no choice but to be in these wars. You see, here's a big problem for the machine. The machine loves war, conquest, territorial gains, expansion of energy dominance, securing the petrodollar and funding the military industrial complex. While we mostly view the military industrial complex as a bunch of rich people who like getting rich off war, the reality is the U.S. loves the idea that it has too many guns. When we can point them at anybody we don't like. So the problem with Donald Trump is that he gets in office and he goes, no new wars. Uh Oh, then he comes out and says, we're going to get our troops out of these wars. Uh Oh, they got to put a stop to that. They can't let that happen. And so this is where we're at. I think it's entirely likely that sometime within the next 12 months, we will be engaged in full scale warfare beyond just Ukraine. Perhaps we'll be dragged into an actual ground war in Ukraine. The U.S. will formally mobilize. Perhaps it will be Israel and Iran, but they need the war. Now, a lot of people have said a wartime president has never lost, but I don't think that counts as Joe Biden. You know, wartime presidents usually a little bit more cohesive and coherent. I mean, I understand that George W. Bush wasn't particularly articulate, but he was still like with it. You know what I mean? He's, he could he could talk. And people kind of like that. He seemed like a regular guy. That's how they described him. Joe Biden can't even talk. True and on a shabbat of pressure. Come on. Bad calf care, next all recent. The dude's got words we ain't never heard of. So if war were to break out, I think people are going to look to stronger leadership. In fact, Donald Trump will campaign on resolving the war, but he will be in it. And then once he gets into office, there's nothing he can do. The war will be raging. Now, when it comes to Russia and Ukraine, I think Donald Trump absolutely can resolve that conflict. And if that was it, that'd be it. But what happens when it's Iran, Lebanon, Syria, etc.? Donald Trump is not going to just abandon Israel if there is full scale active warfare. And he's not going to be able to negotiate down multiple countries. I'm not saying he can't do it. I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm saying it is a daunting task which will lock Donald Trump into command over a war. Here's a story from Sky News. I mean, the story is the quote. You get it right there. America can certainly afford two wars, U.S. Treasury Secretary says. Oh, I love this stuff. 
speaking exclusively to Wilfred Frost ahead of a meeting with finance ministers in Luxembourg, the U.S. Treasury Secretary said that the economy and public uh, finances were in good shape to ensure backing for U.S. interests abroad. Two, we can afford three. Heck, we're so rich, we got $33 trillion in debt. Said it remained too early to understand the economic ramifications of the, the latest conflict with oil and natural gas prices remaining volatile amid growing concerns of a wider war in the Middle East, which seems to be on the horizon. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the clip from 60 Minutes, which, uh, oh boy, let me play it for you. Here we go. Billions of dollars. And Ukraine. That's start over. Sorry about that. The president is asking for billions of dollars for Israel and Ukraine. But Congress is paralyzed. Hard right Republicans are obstructing the election of a Speaker of the House. Full stop. Uh, what does hard right mean? It means nothing. It means other. That's it. Oh, but you're going to love this. Let's break down the propaganda while giving you the news at the same time. Does the dysfunction that we've seen in Congress increase the danger in the world? Yeah. Full stop. Dysfunction? This is the intended condition. Members of Congress having to negotiate instead of marching in lockstep? You see what these people are on about? They're psychotic. Yes. Look, this is not your father's Republican Party. Good. 30% of it is made up of these MAGA Republicans who... Or maybe democracy is something I don't, they don't look at it the same way you and I look at democracy. You're right about that. Are the wars in Israel and Ukraine more than the United States can take on at the no, same the, time? We're the United States of America, for God's sake. The most powerful nation in the history, not in the world, in the history of the world. The history of the world. We can take care of both of these and still maintain our overall international defense. Russia's unprovoked invasion occupies nearly 20% of Ukraine. Full stop. Unprovoked propaganda. Hey, look, man, I get it. Okay. The United States is not going to be using language against its own interests. So it will absolutely say Russia was unprovoked. But that's the stupidest thing in the world. Like Russia one day was just sitting there. Vladimir Putin's like leaning back like that Bugs Bunny man. And he's like, invade. Dude, there's reasons for all of this. The U.S. backed ousting of Yanukovych, the president of Ukraine. The argument back then in 2020 uh, in 2014, when I was down there, I'm sorry, 2013, was that Russia wanted to rebuild the trade federation. But many people in Ukraine viewed that as like Soviet 2.0, and they don't like the Russians because of what happened 100 years ago. Not even 100 years ago, 80 years ago. And so when Ukraine's being courted by the East and the West, sentiment generally favored the West. Russia did not like this. The U.S. backed protests, which resulted in the ousting of Yanukovych. I'm being a little light on the language here. Many people would say it was a CIA backed coup. Either way, this was a territorial dispute with multiple factions involved. Russia knows this. Now, in order to get you to spend money, we got to sell, 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 baby. Come on. Imagine if I went to you and said, ladies and gentlemen, we need your support here at TimCast. Go to TimCast.com, click join us and become a member so that I can buy a new car. You'd be like, that's the worst pitch I've ever heard. And that's not why we have memberships at TimCast.com. Uh, I'll give you a better pitch. My pay for me personally comes from advertising on this show right now. The Tim Pool Daily Show, 
the videos I put out in the morning that I produce and host and run all by myself is where the money comes to me. The money I make from these, I pay myself with it. Everything else, Timcast IRL memberships goes towards all the projects we're doing, the staff, the expansion, IT, etc., booking travel, investing in projects, Times Square billboards, things like that. Don't get me wrong. This in, inflates my net worth, right? I, I am valuing from your membership. But the point is, here's a real pitch. Become a member at TimCast.com so that you can help us win the culture war, so that we can fight the good fight, seek out true information that helps regular people find solutions so their lives are better, so we avoid nuclear annihilation. If you think we're doing a good job of that, then go to TimCast.com and become a member. Here's my point. I use that as an example because I want you to be a member. But realistically, I'm not going to come out and give you a sales pitch that sucks. That's the stupidest thing in the world. You can become a member, I guess. I mean, you know, we're working really hard. Uh, we do some stuff like that's, that's pathetic. I've done sales. No, you come out and say, if you want the best cup of coffee you've ever had in your life, go to castbrew.com and buy. Yeah, obviously, you know, we think our coffee is good and all that, but we're going to be excited and enthusiastic about it. As for the United States, the U.S. wants to win this territory. It's their interests. I don't think it's the interests of the entirety of the American people, but they're competing interests in this com- in this country. For the establishment, their goal is to secure Ukraine. So, of course, they're going to say unprovoked. And there's more. That's the game they play. They want you to march in lockstep. I don't live in that world. I live in a world where we are informed and try to make the best decisions we can. Now, unfortunately, there may be good reasons for why the U.S. is involved in these conflicts, but they don't give them to us. They lie, they cheat, and they steal. I call that a bad pitch. If U.S. intelligence agencies came out and gave an honest assessment, a realistic assessment, we might actually consider some kind of reasonable aid to the region. Now, I mean it. The argument would be there's no reason for us to be involved in these conflicts. I stand opposed to them, right? That would be your argument. Typically, it's mine. What if they came out and made a real sales pitch? We might be like, wow, well, okay, I guess. Here's the issue. There probably isn't one. That's where I stand. I think sometimes intervention, rarely, if ever. That's why I'm usually against it, 90% of the time. Let's play more. Hundreds of thousands have been killed or wounded. In an interview last month, President Volodymyr Zelensky told us he could lose without U.S. aid. How do these wars in Israel and Ukraine relate to the safety of the American people? Overwhelmingly, they relate. For example, in Ukraine, one of my objectives was to prevent Putin, who has committed war crimes himself. Bang. Oh, there we go. War crimes. Spare me, dude. War crimes. Anybody truly trying to win a war? They like, dude, there's no question. None whatsoever. Let me ask you. You're in your house and someone breaks in and they're armored, armored, and your, your, your home defense weapon, useless. However, you do have uh, boiling oil on your stove for making donuts. Would you defend yourself against this person by any means necessary? Look, the answer is yes. Obviously, I don't, I don't know who advocates for hitting somebody with boiling oil. That's crazy. But most people will do whatever they have to to defend themselves and their interests. I don't know how this guy's breaking in your house. My point is this. War crimes. Russia doesn't care what you think a war crime is. Russia is seeking power and resources and security for itself. That means winning is all that matters. 
two people engage in a fight. Certainly there's a right and there's a wrong. But let's say these people are fighting over the ownership of a pot of gold that was found at the end of a rainbow. And you're like, I don't know who owns it or why they think they own it. And one guy splashes the other guy or blasts him with white phosphorus. The other guy bursts into flames and then falls to dust and splinters away into the wind. Then, you know, years later, they say, what happened? And he's, and I, I was sitting here with my pot of gold. This guy attacked me. And that's what's written down. All that matters is the people who want to win, who feel they should win, win to the to, 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 in the people in this conflict. The idea that, you know, Biden comes out and says he's committed war crimes. Right. He wants to rally you against a war criminal. Sure. Russia is saying we're the war criminals, too. That's the way the game is played. Now, certainly someone's lying. Don't get me wrong. Or they're both telling the truth and just ignoring their own faults. Right. The U.S. is, is not innocent when it comes to global conflict because we're all just fighting over interest and we just want to win. Who from being able to occupy an independent country that borders NATO allies and is on the Russian border. Imagine what happens now if he were able to succeed. Have you ever known a major war in Europe we didn't get sucked into? We don't want that to happen. Wait. <laughs> OK, so hold on there a minute, sir. You're saying. In order to avoid getting sucked into international conflict in Europe, we are going to choose to enter an international conflict in Europe. Wonderful. Wonderful. I'd like to point out and counter this and say, hey, look, Russia sees the Donbass stretching all the way down to the Crimea region, the land bridge that everyone said they were after. Looks like Russia secured what they were trying to secure, control of the Black Sea. Thanks for coming to my TED Talk and have a nice day. Yeah. I love it. What they're trying to do is get us involved in a multi-pronged war. And I think that'll be our downfall. And is on the Russian border. Imagine what happens now if he were able to succeed. Have you ever known a major war in Europe we didn't get sucked into? We don't want that to happen. We want to make sure those democracies are sustained. And Ukraine is critical in making sure that happens. That is the worst argument advocating for U.S. intervention I have ever heard. I can give you an argument. I'm not saying it'll convince you, but I can certainly give a way better argument than Joe Biden. You see, Joe Biden is giving these empty platitudes, these garbage statements. We can afford war. We're so strong. We're so tough. What? I can give you an argument. Here's one. Europe is constrained with a waning population. People are not having kids, causing a serious crisis of what the future of these nations will look like. Those in power are concerned that power will leave them. So they're advocating for mass migration as they are in the United States. Ultimately, this is a big problem that needs to be solved through a cultural uh, reformation of sorts uh, or revolution. People need to get back to supporting their values. But the real issue, I think, is when it comes to the war here, here here's a better argument than Joe Biden could give you. Russia controls a large uh, portion of natural gas flowing into Europe. Europeans require this. The, the cost of natural gas is sending money to uh, Russia at a high rate, which Russia is then using in their alliance with China. For Western powers to gain dominance in the economic battle with BRICS and NATO and the petrodollar, we need to offset that Gazprom monopoly of which Ukraine is a principal player. Once we secure Ukraine, the Donbass, Syria, and are aligned with Turkey, we can then start competing, cut our Turkey pipeline, et cetera, et cetera. I didn't say it was a good argument, but a better argument is 
we are in an international conflict with powerful nations who seek to disrupt the petrodollar, which is what sustains the American way of life and your quality of life. We are trying to build a gas pipeline to compete in a free and open market with Russia, but Russia opposes this and we couldn't secure the treaties. Here's the problem. The reason why I say I can give a better argument, but I don't think it's convincing, is that what we destabilize Syria for cheap gas? Is it really worth the humanitarian cost? For the people who are engaging in these wars, their views are it is better that everyone outside of the U.S. suffer so that we maintain control and power. Now, some of these people think they're superheroes. They think that they're staving off World War Three. In fact, I think quite the opposite. I think they're engaging in World War Three. They are going to make it happen. They are playing a game of chicken. They think I can just push so hard that you will back down. But they won't. Because you're fighting ideologues. And so you're 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 uh, you're you're not going to you're not going to win. It's a it's a crazy prospect. The idea that we've got nukes and we've got air superiority and you're not willing to go to war with us sooner or later, that's not going to fly, man. It is a losing proposition. My proposal is. Economics, technology, what did we do? We outsourced all of our manufacturing and research and development. Not all of it, most of it. Well, that's stupid. What do we have to stand on now? Guns. Yep. Guns and gas. We got the guns so we control the gas. Well, that's faltering. And we don't now have the technology to maintain this position because look at the Chips Act. We have Taiwan making our silicon chips. Why? That's crazy. Yeah, we're going to start building a plant here in the United States to compete. But what were they thinking? It's absolutely absurd. So here we now have Joe Biden and Janet Yellen outright and explicitly stating we have the means for more war. More war is coming. I think that's the likely outcome. CBS calls the interview. Biden stresses commitment to Israel, but says there needs to be a path to a Palestinian state. That's impossible. I just don't see it as a possibility. The people in Gaza want to eradicate Israel from the river to the sea. 1948 civil war. Israel wins over the next several decades. 1967, for uh, Palestine shrinks. It's smaller and smaller. They're losing. They're losing a war. That's it. That's what it is. It's war and they lost. And they want. All of it. There's no simple solution here. So. All that I see is escalation. The idea of a Palestinian state. I feel like this is Joe Biden being like, I have to act. Um, what, is, what is it? Uh, humble, pragmatic optimistic, magnanimous. Now, that's what I want you to think. The reality is the U.S. is just saying if we had all of it, if we had U.S. aligned armed guards everywhere, we'd be better off for it. Look at Afghanistan. Nation building. Look at South Korea. Now, South Korea is an interesting one. I mean, South Korea is obviously better off than North Korea. And is that what we would prescribe for every other country? You see, the problem is perhaps it made sense that when the Korean War broke out, you had the Soviet Union on one side and the U.S. on the other. We were engaged in a Cold War. Perhaps it made sense that we tried to stop global communism. I don't see how it makes sense that we go to Afghanistan and spend two decades building a nation, which is now just fallen to the Taliban and is falling apart. That just seems like one big waste of time. I suppose a simple way to put it is the people who built the system for which we benefited from had children who don't know how to maintain it. 
And so I don't see how war is the solution to any of it. Biden certainly isn't all with it. He can't maintain this. And engaging in another conflict with Israel just stretches us thin already. The real thing they're saying is not that we're the most powerful nation and we can afford this. They're saying we are only the most powerful nation because people fear us for our guns. But now we're getting Russia saying, I'll call your bluff. And the end result, escalation of war into World War Three. What a pathetic idea. We need cultural reformation globally. We, we need uh, diplomatic solutions. And you know what really does help end war is trade. TPP, wasn't it? The TPP was 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 uh, breeding more conflict and Trump ended that. I think it was the right move. Trade is good, but the U.S. giving up its manufacturing base is not good. It's destructive. We need to make stuff. China makes stuff. We trade with each other. Instead, the U.S. said China will make it and we'll point guns at everybody else. They'll be forced to use our currency. That is not a realistic solution. So I hope you're ready, everybody. I think we're going to get the outbreak of major war in the next 12 months. I could be wrong, but they're telling us they're waving it in our faces that we're already involved in two wars, two new ones. That's what you get when you vote for a Joe Biden. If Donald Trump had been elected in 2020, we would not be looking at this crisis. Unquestionably, there would be no invasion of Ukraine. There would be no attack in Israel. I know, I know. They said they plan it for two years. Uh huh. All under Joe Biden. All under Joe. Can you believe it's 2023 already? Man, we are getting very close now to the presidential race. And we'll see how this one goes. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up at 6 p.m. on this channel. Thanks for hanging out, and I'll see you all then. No, you can't stop progress, my friends. Don't you understand? You will own nothing, and you will be happy. But what does that really mean? Does it mean you'll own nothing? I mean, physically, yes, you'll own things, concepts, abstractions, you know, like NFTs. But will you control access to resources, the manufacturing of goods, the means of production? No, you won't. Let's start with the news from the Daily Mail. Bank of America closes 21 branches in one week, while Wells Fargo shutters 15 is your local on the list. They say major U.S. banks are continuing to close branches across the U.S., leaving an increasing number of Americans without access to basic financial services. Bank of America axed 21 branches in the first week of October, according to a bulletin published by the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency, OOC, OCC, sorry, on Friday. Wells Fargo shuttered 15, while U.S. Bank and Chase reported closing nine and three, respectively. In total, some 54 locations had either closed or were scheduled to close between October 1st and the 7th. Of the overall closures, three were in Louisville, in Kentucky. Eight of the 21 Bank of America closures were in California. Surprise, surprise. California's a failed state, by the way. It's been for some years. I remember making a video like five years ago saying California's a failed state. <laughs> it's just getting worse. But you can't stop progress. And this is where we're headed. Why? Well, there are larger forces at play, forces from the liminal, subliminal, and perhaps superliminal. That's a Simpsons joke, but the general idea is some of it's intentional, some of it's unintentional. The unintentional is that we have smartphones and people are not going to branches as much as they used to. The cost of maintaining a branch is becoming more expensive 
than the benefit received from that branch. Technology is resulting in the shuttering of branches. The end result of this will be a cashless society, which, of course, will be the thing of nightmares. Hope you're ready for it. It'll be the thing of nightmares because you, you can call it a cashless society. There will still be numbers, probably a central bank digital currency, something that can be easily tracked and exploited through artificial intelligence and algorithmic means. They'll know where you are, where you're going to be. They'll see everything you've ever done. It is an advanced version of the existing ledger that banks have. That'll be the future. The end result, of course, is, as you know, you will own nothing and you will be happy. The reason why they say that, there's this famous quote, I believe it was by a Rothschild, I'm not sure, where he said something to the effect of um, the, a one world government is inevitable. In fact, maybe I, should, maybe I should pull this up because people misunderstand what it means. One world, uh, let's see, one world government inevitable. And I think it was Rothschild. I could be wrong. New World Order Conspiracy, Rothschild quote. Um, hmm. Well, I don't know. I think some of you who are watching this probably uh, know better than I. But this famous quote said that um, many people think that, uh, you know, there's a, a conspiracy to bring about a world government. And the general idea is this. There doesn't need to be. There does not need to be a conspiracy to make a one world government. It is an inevitability. That's just it. You take a look at uh, Europe. Take a look at the United States before European colonizers came. And you could all look at all the different territories that were controlled by all these different tribes. One by one, all of these borders started to come together. A monopolizing force occurred. This happens in the universe. The reason why I say a one world government will be inevitable is because Thanks in part to technology, culture is homogenizing. And that's it. With better technology, the wants and desires of people become more in line with each other. If you have a nation like the United States, you have a desire among your peers to be respected. Not everybody has this, okay? But typically, right? If you are Chinese, you have a desire to be respected among your peers. Thus, the interests of you as someone from China is different from someone in the United States, and thus you will compete. The person in China says, I want power. I don't care what Americans think about me. The end result with communication expansion is that people will start to care more and more about what other people think and culture begins to homogenize. Some are intentionally doing this. Part of it is a naturally occurring phenomenon. When that happens, you end up with treaties. Then you'll end up with international court bodies, which already exist. And then you'll end up with a one world system of governance. You can resist it and resistance is entirely possible. But I think the end result is technology will bring about a one world government of some sort. And I think it's fair to say we already have it. Yeah. You've got multiple independent internet, or I shouldn't say independent, you have multiple international bodies that control finance, war funding, etc. The world is still split in twain with the Western powers and the BRICS nations. But after this, it could be some kind of unification. Or maybe this is it. There will always be like two for competition's sake. Now, as for living in the pod and eating the bugs, they're going to take away your ability to understand and know. Harriet Tubman famously said, and most of you have heard me say it a million times now, I freed many slaves. I would have freed many more if only they knew they were slaves. You see, the idea there is there are many people who didn't even understand the concept of slavery that were slaves. They were enslaved. They were told what to do. And they're like, I don't know. What else would I do? And Harriet Tubman said, you could be free and be your own man and be successful and wealthy in your own right. Be your own king. But many people didn't understand it, didn't care. 
So there are people in this world that know if they can take that away from you, your knowledge of freedom, of liberty, of meritocracy, they can raise your children with a fractured worldview. They'll be happy. Eventually, this means you'll live in the pods. You won't have kids. You'll die. And then the population of the planet will begin to shrink as it already is. I mean, slowing down. So what will happen for the rest of you is we're seeing one sign. Your local bank branch is shutting down. How does this relate? You're no longer going to have access to physical currency because they say, well, you're already doing everything online as it is. The world of online will continue to expand. And eventually we will do everything online. Mark Zuckerberg's metaverse is still being expanded. He recently put out a podcast with Lex Fridman where they had a CGI animation of themselves in real time. And that's what the world's going to turn into. Heck, for all we know, we're in that already. And that's why everyone thinks the world's a simulation, because you are actually just playing some kind of weird simulated video game life in your pod with a tube into your throat, pumping bugs into your gullet. <laughs> ah, moral philosophy and philosophy is interesting concepts, huh? I think that's where we're headed. And it's actually a, a, a reason to speculate that we're in base reality. I'd make the argument that if this we're not in some kind of matrix system by choice, because if we were, we'd probably just retain knowledge of the fact that we're in that system, wouldn't we? If you wanted to escape from reality and live a life of luxury among individuals who were. You know, like if you wanted to live your dreams, you'd go into a single player video game where you'd have absolute control. Maybe the argument is you've chosen to, to play a game where your mind is not aware, like the guy in the Matrix. Cypher, when he says, I don't want to remember nothing, nothing. And I want to be someone important, like an actor. <laughs> someone important. Yeah. Maybe that's it. That's what we're doing. The argument I'd say for this being base reality is that we're headed towards that world, which wouldn't make sense. It wouldn't make sense that if we were in a simulation, we would be building the simulation to escape into. Because then we're just in a, I don't know, a circuitous loop, a recursive loop of entering more and more simulations. We would choose to live in a perfect world, wouldn't we? Or not. We would want the conflict and the crisis for the entertainment value. But I'm kind of not convinced that your life or my life warrants something worth playing, because in my mind, if I wanted to actually go into a virtual world, I'd be fighting dragons or something like riding on the back of a dragon, fighting another dragon or whatever nonsense, you know, casting fireball spells or being in an Iron Man. I mean, just anything more exciting than sitting in a room all day being bored. But I love this concept, too. If we really are in a simulation, base reality must be so boring. Just imagine how boring it must be that this is entertainment. You wake up, you go to work, you come home, you go to sleep. You wake up, you go to work. Really? That's the video game you chose to play? I mean, hey, look, people like farming simulator, simulator and truck driving simulator. Anyway, back to the point. The system by which we lived for a long time in our base reality is is crumbling. We are not. I mean, what's the last time you, you, you did a transaction in cash? I mean, you go to a casino, you're going to do it. So, you know, that still exists. and There'll be a need there. But even now, the casinos are starting to change into a digital system. Yeah. Mobile apps where you click a button and they give you chips. Hey, but those chips could still be currency, right? Backed by the corporation behind them. There will probably need to be forever some kind of symbol or, 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 um, universal trade medium tool. But even now, online gaming, online sports betting, online poker, 
People are going to live in the pods and you are going to experience simulated reality. That is the nature of the world that we are entering. And I hope you're ready for it. It's fast approaching. This is just another sign. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up tonight at 8 p.m. over at youtube.com slash timcastirl. Thanks for hanging out, and I'll see you all then. In this viral video, a man goes to Costco and compares the price of goods today to yesterday to figure out what the actual inflation is. Now, there's a lot wrong with this calculation. The inflation of some goods does not mean the overall inflation of all goods. However, there is some truth to be said here. The most important inflation may, in fact, be food costs. They say, oh, we'll include cars and everything else, and then we can get that number down or change it or whatever. But I don't think it's fair to say it's 75%. I also don't think it's fair to say 3.67. I believe they're right now saying that it's 3.7. Uh, 3.7% inflation is the official number. But according to Trueflation, the actual number is around 24%. But I'll show you those charts. First, let's watch this video. This man reveals the true food inflation by comparing prices with the price tags on photos he took a year ago. So I'm walking around Costco here and I'm noticing these prices. For example, these mattress lentils, $15.99. I bought those a year ago for $6.99. I keep getting told that we got, you know, 6 7% inflation. You gotta be kidding me. Let's look at what else we got going on here. We literally bought this chicken broth, $5.69, two months ago. Mayonnaise. 10 bucks from 5 bucks. Dang, this is the flour we were buying for $5.99 last year. 6 bucks, and it's now 13 bucks. The government Butter. has its own math wow. that they manipulate in a dodgy way. This man reveals the yes, truth. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. Because they want to prevent panic, I guess. They want to control how you think about money and how you, what you think you have. NerdWallet says the current inflation rate is 3.7. Here's why it matters. Inflation increased 3.7% in September 2023 from a year ago. Understanding what inflation is and why it matters, how to handle, blah, 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 blah. Okay. How to measure inflation. Sure. Here we go. The current U.S. inflation rate is 3.7 for the 12-month period leading up to September 2023. Inflation rose 0.4% in September, but the previous month, according to the latest revenue from the Bureau of Labor Statistics, the BLS noted the shelter and gasoline indices were two of the largest contributors to the monthly uptick in September. The shelter index which primarily measures rent prices as well as owners equivalent rent. An estimate of what a homeowner would pay if they were renting their home accounted for more than half of the monthly increase. The next monthly update will be released November 14th, 2023. What is inflation? It's the rate at which the price of goods and services increases. As a result of inflation, the purchasing power or value of money decreases over time. Inflation affects the prices of everything around us. Generally speaking, inflation can be caused by a number of factors. The recent surge in inflation has been driven, at least in part, by supply chain issues, pent up consumer demand, and economic stimulus from the pandemic. Types of inflation. Blah, 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 blah. I read that very fast because you get the point. The most important thing here is how they measure inflation. But let me show you truflation. According to truflation.com, the U.S. inflation rate aggregated since 2020 is 23.9%. Wow. <laughs> That's crazy. And over the past year, you can see, is it going to, is it going to, it's not going to load for me. Over the past two years, it's been going up quite a bit. So when you see a video of a guy saying, look at this, the flour is up five bucks. The mayonnaise is double in price. The lentils are three times more expensive. He's getting something right. What's not right is you can't look at one product, product and be like, why is it more expensive? Okay, well, let's talk about lentils. 
Maybe lentils were five bucks because there was a overproduction of the crop. Many of the producers were then saddled with massive inventories and they needed to get rid of it or lose money. So they sold at a slight loss, but they make enough. Let's say it's expensive today because there was a, uh, well, you know, to be completely honest, it was very warm over the winter. So we should have a better, we should have had a better crop. We had a warm winter. So you'd think there'd be more, which the price would go down. Uh, but it could be that lentils are in short supply. Why did mayonnaise go up? The cost of eggs, the cost of lemon juice or vinegar or whatever it is. These things all play a role. And it may just be that the reason that lentils are more expensive is because the main producer of lentils, the owner had a heart attack and then the company went, it could be anything, right? But I think the reality is that inflation is a serious problem right now. As I mentioned earlier this week, banks are closing their branches. Costs are going up and we are witnessing it. You know, rent is nuts right now. I'm going to tell you, my friends, we have to face a challenge here at Timcast as a somewhat atypical business. Now, I often talk about how I get paid and I got no problem saying this. The Tim Pool Daily Show podcast, which is produced, hosted and run entirely by me. Granted, the clips, shout out, the, the, the shorts and the clips that get put up are by the team. I'm saying well, I come in, I sit down, I press record, I upload all this. This makes the money. The clips don't make money. All the money made from the show, I pay myself with. I'm happy with that. It's a good amount of money. Things are getting more expensive. As for Timcast IRL and our memberships, 10 bucks a month gets you a membership. You can watch the behind the scenes content, join the Discord server, hang out with like-minded individuals, all that really good stuff. You get special benefits. The elite members, you know, you get in, 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 uh, inside access and knowledge and, you know, talk to staff and things like that. Uh, we don't have that many elite members. It's kind of just like we wanted to create a tier for people who want to be more involved. And most people are, are content with 10 bucks a month. But the cost of um, running the servers is going up. People who work here need raises to cover the increased cost of food and rent. And so we have to figure out how do you make more money come into a business when it's 10 bucks? Obvious. We have to raise prices. But we're not planning on doing that just yet. We got to figure out other means of making money and perhaps maximizing the business without increasing costs. Because the fear is if we raise membership costs, we might just lose money because people might cancel. And there's the idea where it's like, okay, well, everybody who's paying at this rate stays at this rate, and then all new memberships go up. Okay, perhaps. But what if that decreases the rate at which we, we sign up new members? And so there's a natural churn and burn. Every month we lose X and then we gain Y. Sometimes we lose more than we gain. Sometimes we gain more than we lose. We're in a slight uptick. It's good. But the slight uptick does not beat inflation, which means we have to contend with a very real prospect of, at some point, having no choice but to raise rates or add advertisements, we, which we, we rarely do. The point is, it gets tough. One of the reasons we launched Cast Brew Coffee, go to castbrew.com and buy the best cup of coffee, is to create another means of monetization. The reason why we're launching a coffee shop, it's not just to win the culture war, primarily is, but it's because we want to create brick and mortar franchises that can just operate in the real world in the event this becomes unsustainable. This is a big challenge. Over time, everyone needs more money. With inflation actually around 24%, according to Trueflation, I don't know how we maintain this. We try. We're doing, we're doing well, but uh, we're, 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 we're floating by. You know, Timcast is doing well, but we're, we're, we are where we are. And at this point, we're hoping that our other projects, we're launching Freedomistan, which is the skate vlog style show, which is basically just bringing back the vlog. Cast Castle breaks even. It, it, you know, we have enough members who sign up for Cast Castle that enjoy the show that it, it works out and maintains itself. Pop culture crisis. They're getting there. 
but they're making money and that's good. We need to get to the point where these other components of the business make money and then we can start, you know, dealing with inflation in better ways. But this is the big challenge faced by everybody. If you're a business that just sells cheese, you got to sell, you got to, you got to charge more for the cheese or hope that you can sell so much more that the increased sales covers the cost of inflation. Meaning you need to increase your sales by 10% to compete with inflation at this level, right? Let's say you sell 10 blocks of cheese and your profit on those 10 blocks of cheese is $10. Now you, the owner, take that $10 to pay yourself. Maybe you're getting a salary. So the $10 is on top, but then someone comes and says, I need a wage increase. And you have 10 employees who each need another dollar every pay period. And you're only making $10. Okay. Well, that means you as the owner lost all your profits. Your pay goes down to cover the cost of raising the wages of your, of your employees who are only now getting an extra dollar. Not even that much. $10 lost, $1 gained per person, but you got to do it. So you say, okay, what if we reduce the price of the cheese and sell a hundred now because it's cheaper. Well, let's say now you're only getting $8 per 10, but you're selling 10 times as much. So now you're getting $80. Now you keep paying yourself the 10. Now you see, so this is the challenge with business. And right now I think the bigger challenge is that outside of running a business, all that stuff, the reality for most people is that the government is lying about the true cost of goods. Banks are closing. Prices are skyrocketing. Stores are closing. Crime is running rampant. I see this and I think it's well beyond just an issue of whether or not you can afford to buy a can of beans. It's going to be an issue of whether or not there's going to be people lined up outside the unemployment office or outside of food banks. And I think that's where we, we may be going. We see this homelessness crisis and people don't think a lot about these homeless people. But you ever ask yourself, where did they all come from? It's not that one day a bunch of people just brains, their, their brains shattered and they became mentally unwell. Many of these people had jobs. They were probably working as a clerk at a CVS. CVS closed because of high crime. They were probably working at a Rite Aid. Rite Aid closed because they're getting sued over uh, opioid crisis. How many of these people were living paycheck to paycheck, making 10, 15 bucks an hour? Their store closed, their Target, their Walgreens, whatever. And now they're part of the homeless crisis. Forgotten. And how many more will join those ranks? I hope you all are paying attention and planning for self-sustainability. That's why I say get out of the cities. Why? Well, one of the things about being outside the cities, you can grow your own food. Depending on where you are, you can grow food in the city. I get it, but you're not growing enough. We had a garden here. And chickens. And this, I, I got to tell you, man, breakfast covered. No joke. It's kind of awesome. We had cherry tomatoes. We had tomatoes. We had zucchinis. In the morning, I'd walk out, grab a zucchini, grab a handful of cherry tomatoes, go grab some eggs from the chickens. And that's what I'd eat for breakfast. And it was awesome. And that was mostly it. You need a lot of food. It is crazy. People do not understand how much farmland you need per person. It's nuts. I think the average farm feeds like 12 to 20 people. That's it. It's like some low number. Maybe, maybe it's not. I think it's aggregate because like there's a lot of wheat, but all that wheat is not a single staple, right? I, I, I should say it's like not the only thing you can eat. So when you combine all these farms, they only feed like a couple dozen people. Or is it a couple of a dozen families? I don't know. It's not as much as you might think. But I hope you're paying attention to this stuff because if costs keep going up, I don't know, man, maybe Trump will come and turn it all around. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up at 1 p.m. on this channel. Thanks for hanging out and I'll see you all then.